You're listening to the Real Intelligence Podcast, presented by RxA, a leader in business intelligence and data science consulting services. We're here to bring attention to the unique stories, perspectives, challenges, and success that individuals in the data industry face at every career stage. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning into the Real Intelligence Podcast. I'm Anna Schultz, Marketing Manager at RxA, and joining me is the CEO and founder of RxA, Jason Harper. Today, we have an extra special episode planned to explore the revolutionary impact of ChatGPT and generative AI on businesses across the globe. This game-changing technology is redefining the way companies operate, elevating business intelligence, and democratizing data science like never before. It's not just the next big thing. It's the thing that will shape the way businesses thrive and compete moving forward. So we're thrilled to have an extraordinary lineup of experts with us today who will demystify ChatGPT and generative AI, reveal how you can harness its potential to drive revenue growth, enhance decision-making, and make data science more accessible than ever. Joining us are Michaela Penna, sales account executive at RxA and our go-to authority on generative AI's role in the business landscape, and Jacob Newstead, data engineer at RxA, who will break down the technical wizardry behind ChatGPT. We also have the brilliant Matt Schaefer and Megan Foley from ReadySignal, who will share their insights on practical business applications for this groundbreaking technology. So let's jump into the extraordinary world of ChatGPT and generative AI to empower your business with the knowledge to capitalize on this transformative technology. To start us off, we know that business leaders are keen to understand how ChatGPT and generative AI can revolutionize their operations, business intelligence, and data science. But first, I think it's helpful to truly understand what is generative AI. Jacob, can you walk us through the general definition and more specifically how ChatGPT works? Of course. So I think really the easiest way to go about this is starting just at the words ChatGPT and working backwards. Uh, GPT, we can start with that, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Going a little bit deeper, we're going to have a lot of steps back, uh, is Transformer. It's a specific machine learning architecture that kind of takes a human intuition to looking at data. Transformers have a mechanism called attention, where when you look at, let's say, a sentence, uh, like the cow jumped over the moon, certain things like the and cow are related to each other. And so the machine learning algorithm kind of pieces these little things together and it processes data, not just as a collection of words, but as a collection of relations. This is really important when we kind of go together onto a higher level thing, which is the generative part. So going back to GPT, generative pre-trained, the way GPT models are specifically made is their input a series of text and it is cut off at a certain point and the machine learning model is then asked okay input the next word and it trains itself uh kind of in an unsupervised way although that some people might be shouting at me in the background but uh it's easy to think about it as unsupervised as you just give us some text and you say complete this sentence word by word by word It forms these relations using attention, and eventually it generates a complete sentence. Now, take a step back and do that over the entire corpus of Wikipedia, every public uh, source book, 
and all sorts of texts all over the entire world, multilingual. Uh, now, even with GPT-4, we have images, audio, video, all sorts of things. And it generates these kinds of very general ideas of relationships between words, sometimes uh, images, and it's able to generate piece by piece um, some sort of predictive, this is what should come next. That's what GPT is, GPT-2, GPT-3, GPT-4. We're going to keep going, and they're going to probably keep this same architecture with small changes, uh, which would be a completely different topic. But then we really have to talk about the big game changer here, which is the chat part. Chat actually comes from the idea that rather than training a model just on predicting the next token or next word, depending on what model you're using, we score how well it outputs things. So if you've ever used GPT before, you know that it can come up with very different uh, outputs to the same prompt, depending on like parameters and stuff like that. It's basically how they sample the next word. So it doesn't always do the same thing. So they leverage that. They say, okay, GPT, come up with five different statements to this one prompt. And then a human says, okay, I'm going to rank these one to five. How pleasing is it for me, the human, to read? And then it updates itself based on that over and over and over. And they actually automate it. They cheat. They actually train a model to reward it for them so that they can automatically do this. But more or less, it's a human ranking things from one to five and updating itself based on that. So that's where we go from just predicting the next word or token to making it human pleasing and easy to interface with. And that's why ChatGPT is so big because it takes this kind of uh, scientific approach to predicting the next word or token and gives it a sort of human touch, something that's easier for us to inter uh, interact with. And that's why this has been such a big deal is that now we have this almost human-like, I hesitate to say that, but almost human-like model that anybody can interact with. Uh, with very little knowledge about what GPT expects. It's what a human expects now. I think I think one of the things you said in there too that is just, I don't know, like the secret sauce, I guess, is that there's a human in the loop in this process. That human ranking, I know there's some nuance to how that's actually occurring, but it's that that human ranking where it's still utilizing this human in the loop for training that has completely made this game changing, right? So when you're using it, it does it does have that feeling of like, this is, you know, a, a person. I thank it. I'm just, I feel compelled to say, oh, great, thank you. And like give it praise <laughs> and like work with it in this like positive like environment. And it rewards me back with also like praise, like, oh, that's great. Yeah, great idea. Oh, this would be really fun to work on. Good luck with your project. Like, yeah. it's really interesting, like those little nuances to that, that really make it feel like I'm working with someone. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's creepy and is bad, but I do feel like I'm working with someone when I'm in there playing with this tool. Yeah. And that's like one of the big breakthroughs. There's a couple of like big kind of obstacles we have to go through, but just interacting with these models. I mean, it's you, it's anybody like I, I, I'm the nerdy dude that kind of is like, oh, hey, number is cool. But everybody else is interacting with these models. So it's very huge that people get this kind of feedback. It makes a big difference. Absolutely. Thank you, Jacob, for walking us through that. Um, now that we have this 
general understanding of the program, mm -hmm. I think it's important that we pivot and discuss how businesses can actually apply ChatGPT today. Um, so a question for the larger group, maybe Michaela, Matt, and Megan. Can you walk us through how you've seen ChatGPT be used to optimize business operations? I'll go first. So I, I think that uh, you know, to uh, Jacob's comment, the way he summarized it was fantastic, especially for someone on this call that's not a data science practitioner. I spent my entire career in the world of data and analytics, but uh, I think that what I see here is a fundamental game changer, making you know kind of this world of data science much more approachable to the masses. But for those that can really harness this as a you know, utility in its current form, uh, I think can be a fundamental, you know, game changer from an efficiency standpoint in things like content creation. Uh, it's, it's things as simple as LinkedIn posts, blogs, email prospecting. You know, I think that there's a ton of application today and it's only in those types of realms, at least from my vantage point, um, that, that we've only scratched the surface and I'm, it's, it's amazing. It's a little bit terrifying, but extremely exciting on, I think what this will do, uh, and how this will reshape how you know, businesses run and operate and scale. Awesome, Matt. Um, to add to that, for me, being a saleswoman my entire career, for me, what's exciting and what I've seen a little sliver up to help me so far is just being more efficient and more productive in my role specifically. Like I'm able to give GPT a few prompts and have it spit out my notes from client calls so I can, you know, put together contracts and follow up on emails to, you know, eventually get deals across the finish line. And for me, spending less time on what I like to call my admin tasks in my role and more time building deep connections with clients is a game changer. And I'm just excited for the future to see um, where this could go from there. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Michaela. I, I totally feel that every single day. And it's, it's really cool being in a small company that your little team can do the work of like six to 10 people now. And it's not even just small companies that are like really seeing the effects. It's anybody from like the big like Whole Foods and Amazon are also seeing these machine learning algorithms really just take their processes and run with it. There's so many cool new um, outputs that really run on chat. And it's really cool to see how they're working their way into your everyday sales processes. Anything from like a co-pilot that's running on like the Microsoft suite and just helping you with LinkedIn prospecting to really just writing LinkedIn posts, doing marketing, anything from the visual aspect to the copy itself. And it's really just making it a lot easier for the little guys to compete too. Absolutely, Megan, totally agree. I wonder, so on that note, like, so obviously Microsoft's made a big investment into OpenAI in particular, and Microsoft is incorporating it into GitHub and their tools, but I hadn't really pieced it together that they're also owned by Link or they also own LinkedIn. Right. So like, yeah. are we seeing, are we seeing that level of integration occurring oh, yeah. yet within LinkedIn? Like you are, can you talk about that? I don't know that I've actually seen that yet. Yeah. So I would say that there is probably about like six or seven tools that are trying to be the next big thing. And really what it comes down to is they're still playing around, still trying to figure out who like the best one is and who's going to get that Microsoft kind of tie in. But what it comes down to is all these tools are scraping somebody's page figuring out what they say their sales are, their skills, all these different things, scraping it, putting together a blurb, and you can explain what your company does and then what's like your main key product takeaways. And it will scrape their page and see how you match up 
to make a tailored message to them for you. And to add to that, Megan, that's something, you know, that I feel like is a huge game changer because spending time tailoring a small social media like LinkedIn message for each persona you're talking to is incredibly time consuming. And I used to, you know, spend three, four hours of a block in my day to do this. And now I could do this in 30 minutes, which is amazing. And then get back to the work that's meaningful and at the end of the day produces revenue. So I love it. That's uh, no, that's been, that's fantastic. I love it too. Uh, from that perspective, for sure. Uh, I would say uh, one of the, when in thinking about the comment about creating the posts and that, like I just started using Microsoft designer, uh, which yes. I think runs on Dolly, Dolly. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't know what y'all's experience have been with that, but I started playing with it this weekend and found it to be, um, I think the technical term is rubbish. Like I didn't find a lot of success in its ability to actually create something I could use. It was entertaining and like I enjoyed the results from like, a, you know, made me giggle, but I didn't find anything from the image perspective that was actually useful. I'm curious if you guys have different experiences with that. Yeah. Not as advertised. Sorry, not as advertised, I think, is what uh, the way that I would sum it up. I think that there could be a ton of really interesting application for it in future uh, versions of this. Uh, but I would agree, not as advertised, underwhelming a little bit. Yeah, and to kind of add to Matt's point, I've I've even expanded outside of the Microsoft Designer to other like platforms. So like Canva has their own called Canva Magic. And it seems like this really cool feature that's like, oh, wow, it's going to replace Adobe, Photoshop, all this sort of stuff. And even Adobe has their own with Firefly. And really, they are on definitely like the beginning cusp that I feel like if chat didn't get released when it got released, they would have been a couple years out from it. And really, I felt like they jumped on the bandwagon, threw it out here. And it really shows that humans right now kind of have that that cap space pretty well like managed and that it can't produce the same things that I feel like people can right now. But we'll see in a couple of years. Maybe it will be completely different. It's definitely the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been underwhelming. And I think you're right. They just jumped the gun. I don't know why they're trying to push so fast there when it's just so you can't help but compare the quality of output that we're getting from like GPT-4 and think like how amazing this is. And then my expectations have been completely transformed what I expect from any of these. So when I get something back from them that maybe a year ago, I would have thought, wow, this is really cool. Look at how good they did. It's like, it's, my expectations are completely different. And it's just, yeah, rubbish. I will stand by that. Yeah, I feel like the bar has been set like super high with every iteration of GPT. And now it's like the race to the top to get that visual um, generative AI for several companies, not just open AI. And um, I want to see who gets there, like who can do it. Yeah, I think the uh, the only place I've seen it successfully applied has been in that sort of like using um, stable diffusion where you're really training your own and you're really you're feeding it quite a lot of your own bespoke image yeah. uh, data, if you will. Then it can actually be really powerful, but it's it's just not starting from what feels like scratch with with Dolly or these other these other sources. I kind of feel like a lot of these models nothing was tailored at first we we had a lot of stuff that was like oh i can generate images based on 90 billion different images on the internet but like 
to actually put it into a product and say, hey, you can use it with our product X is a completely different expectation because I can ask for a sunny meadow view uh, in the Appalachia or something like that. And Stable Diffusion can come up with something really good. Maybe even Dolly. I will admit as well that Dolly 2 is pretty rough. Um, But I think the problem is, is a lot of people just start throwing spaghetti at the wall and it's not tailored to any one product yet. I think it's going to be a little bit, but I am really looking forward to seeing like how they navigate that. It's going to be kind of interesting. It's, it's an awareness and an education opportunity right now. Right. I mean, cause the, I think about this, like who the hell thought a YouTube influencer would be a thing, you know, a decade plus ago. And now you've got you know, this new opportunity for to be like the, the maestro of prompts and like what it can be produced. That's going to be a pretty desirable skill set here in not so uh, in not a very long period of time. You know, I think that companies are already thinking about this, both from an education and enablement, but who I'm hiring for and the job recs that we're, that we're producing, it's, it, it's just in, it's, it's influencing everything. I think it's super fascinating. Right. And it's those who don't embrace are the ones that are going to be left behind. So it's funny. I was having this conversation at um, a birthday party on Saturday uh, for with a bunch of 10 year olds and the parents. And so we were sitting around talking. uh, And of course, since I was there, I brought this up and we were talking about GPT and AI and stuff. And talking about that in particular, Matt, the usefulness of the skill set of writing a prompt and how important of a skill set that is to be able to actually write really effective prompts and looking for that as an employer and things like that. And for me, like I, I'm, I may be wrong about this, but I feel like that's going to be an insanely useful skill set for like 12 months. And then it's going to actually be using GPT and GPT like solutions to actually write the prompts. And so your ability to create these really well-constructed prompts and the nuance that goes into that is critical, but it's super short-lived because it's really about create, like it really is more about pulling what you're looking for and stuff. But so I really, this whole space, I guess I just say that it's a, uh, I don't know where this, I guess from a skill set needed to take advantage of this, I don't, I don't have my head around exactly what the right skill set is in the long or even medium term. Yeah, right now I see it as in the short term companies hiring for roles like AI project manager or AI data science manager, um, people that can, you know, have the skills to prompt it and have worked on that and are ahead of the pack in that game. And then eventually, from what you were saying, Jason, pivoting to now I run the whole department within my company that's in charge of AI and I manage these tools that we're using for AI. Um, And I think that's really exciting. And also when I talk to like my friends and my family that are outside of like this whole tech space we live in, they don't even know what chat GPT is yet, right? They're like, oh, it's just like scary robot stuff that's going to take over the world. Like no offense, mom (laughs) and dad, but their their generation just doesn't get it. And I I just think it's really important to know like if you're not a robot, because I'm not yet, right, is uh, you're like, what about like soft skills and empathy? Um, What about all these things? And I don't think you should be scared of that, like job skills such as like communication and empathy and um, uh, having a deep knowledge of like who you're talking to. Now where we stand, and in my opinion, into the future, that's not something that AI is going to replace. But if you have the hard skills, right, of understanding AI and understanding how to prompt it or even how it works, like Jason, or not, I'm sorry, not Jason, 
delete that, Anna. Like Jacob explained at the beginning of this call, I think there'll be huge skills in the job market. And I know everyone in this call that I'm on with today, like we're excited that we're into it and we're talking about it. And I think when the greater public, you know, finally embraces AI in general, whether that be Dolly or ChatGPT, I think we'll be ahead of the game. We'll be ahead of the curve, you know, knowing about something and being excited about it and teaching yourself knowledge before the general public goes wild, you know, makes me really happy and excited for where I'm at. <laughs> I think that's a good point. I sometimes forget too. I get I forget that people don't know what this is. Like, and I'm reminded right? of that every now and again. Like at this birthday party, I was like, "Oh, you've never." Seen, I'm trying to describe it as though everyone knows. I'm like, you haven't seen this. So I'm like, "Oh, like pull up my phone. I'm showing them for the first time this thing that I'm like." Yeah, I don't know. I thought everybody used this. I'm confused by this conversation. Give me a moment to reset my brain to back to reality because not everybody is using this, you know, all day, every day. And is, you know, it's, it, you know, it is. And I think too, it, it's imperfect and there's lots of issues with it. So it makes sense that most people haven't fully adopted this because it's wrong a lot. And you have to like be willing to deal with this thing that's, you know, it sounds like it's super smart and super right and you can trust it for everything, but it's, you know, it's not. It's still so early. I sometimes forget that. Forget that. Exactly. And I don't think we'll see like full like public use of this until it, it is trained to be more accurate. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like the biggest conversation at kids' birthday parties with it is about cheating probably. Right, Jason? <laughs> that does come up. That does certainly come up. Yeah, no, I mean, we're seeing that, I guess, and uh, especially at the college level, like being able to just everyone seems to be using it to write everything. So I don't know how college is really going to react to this. I feel like it is sort of like a this is a lean in opportunity to figure out how to incorporate this into everybody's, you know, educational experience versus you know, I'm already seeing like places trying to put the guard walls up to like combat and fight the use of this technology and whatever. But I feel like that's a fool's errand. But yes, I can talk about that separately. Just <laughs> <laughs> the willingness to learn and the adaptability, really. I feel like that's the soft skills needed I feel right. like, to really take on this challenge. Right. Yeah. And I think there's so many like different businesses that can be made out of this, whether it's a business that detects if someone wrote a paper or took a test with uh, AI help or um, you know, hospitals using AI to make better informed decisions to go the way of human error. There's so many things that get my wheels spinning that I'm like, oh my gosh, so many new businesses, not even just in tech are going to come out of this era, I feel like. Well, I, I think Michaela too, as you're talking about that, one of the implications of this, <clears throat> I was talking to um, a friend of mine last week, sort of about some of the implications of some of the the visual and audio components of this and its ability to kind of like fake things in real time. And I think a, a corollary to some of the results of this too will be sort of like I don't know what the opposite of scaling is. Descaling, I think, is the wrong word, but it, you know, bringing things back where you're not able to do. We need, we're going to rely more on being in person and being in real life with, with people and, and being able to like, it's going to place more value on being in person and talking to people or going to the park or doing like these sort of things, like having conversations that because the amount of, you know, curated automated video content where you're talking to things or interacting with things that aren't necessarily actual human on the other side, it's going to make phone calls feel less real, 
right? So like, you know, and sort of I've, I've seen and felt that we've changed from like having phone calls feeling very real to then having really video calls now. It's really my normal default state for a lot of conversations that I'm having and that sort of the thing. And I think there's going to be another change where it's like, I just want to be in person and actually see you and be around you and in your space. And I think same thing with colleges and testings and things like that. Like, and you're not, it's going to reduce our ability to scale and do these big, broad things and actually focus on no, like more interpersonal reactions or relationships with teachers, with peers and things like that, which I think that I feel is it may slow some things down, but be a true net benefit to how people interact with one another. Oh my gosh. That wouldn't, that be an amazing byproduct of this moment in time. I mean, many of us have young kids, young kids, we talk about screen time all the time in my house and like the video games and like how do we, it's like to an unhealthy level. And I mean, that's an interesting perspective of the future that this actually drives both innovation and more human connection than, than anything else. I, uh, my chips are on that one, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't that be a good, uh, a good outcome of all of this. And it's funny, I think a lot of people think it's, you know, the opposite. It's driving us all towards this AI, towards this more technology, but maybe it will have the opposite effect. Um, so we've gotten a lot into the um, aspects of ChatGPT, helping with business operations, um, maybe image generation, content creation, things like that. One of the other areas I know we've all seen great potential for generative AI is in enhancing business intelligence and data-driven decision-making. Um, so can we kind of steer the conversation and talk about how ChatGPT or generative AI in general can help in generating actionable insights from data? Sure. I can speak to just something that's kind of driving me and keeping me up at night is how businesses will use this to be more custom to their customers. Again, sales girl talking here. So I'm thinking about the money always. And for me, it's like, okay, in today's age, say I want to go and buy a new pair of sweatpants, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to like my five go-to stores. Price is going to be a factor. The type of pants I'm going to look for are going to be a factor. And then I kind of like price shop across the internet. Right. And now I feel like if companies can incorporate this, let's like say a big one, like a Target, for example, if I can go on to Target and have GPT like white labeled on their site and ask it questions about what I'm trying to find and it spits out what they sell to me right away without having to like go through their search and do all this. I'm going to buy it right then instead of just putting it in my shopping cart and waiting. Half the time, I'll put thousands of dollars of clothes in my shopping cart and I'll never buy them. It's just like window shopping on the Internet. And I feel like it could lead to making faster customer decisions, which, you know, lead to more revenue for businesses, whether it's small and large. And that's something I think about all the time on all levels of um, business, specifically retail. Yeah, absolutely. I think from my perspective, like as you think about the world of BI, data science, analytics, I mean, it still is a very kind of like, uh, I guess it's a world of you know, that's kind of under the wrapper of super technical. And I think that this you know kind of helps to, I hate saying demystify, but I think really makes that world much more approachable. You know, and some things that we're thinking about like at Ready Signal is, you know, playing in this world of, external data, leading indicators, you know, purpose-built forecasts, being able to provide these in a way that they're both consumable but also interpretable becomes extremely important in our world. 
uh, you know, both through like trust and actual embrace of the application, i.e. the forecast that I'm going to rely on to run my business and, you know, and drive some of the next four or five decisions that I'm going to make today. I think that, you know, just the, the way that we're incorporating that to have that human kind of readable summarization of something that's super te- technical, again, not the practitioner on the call, but, you know, I benefit from it. My business benefits from it and my customers benefit from it every single day. And I just really think that that's been a, an incredible game changer from my perspective, at least from my vantage point. Uh, I don't know, Jason, if you share that or maybe to the to the rest of the panel here, if there's anything that they you know, comment or challenge in that uh, in that statement. No, I mean, I think I think it's very similar to the way that we're we're seeing things. I don't. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know, um, I guess I'd say it looked like Jacob, you're going to chime in. Yeah. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, sorry. Um, well, I, I use it, uh, in my work life right now. We, we recently had a project that had a large table of customer information, feedback, sentiment, all sorts of things in a structured way, but it's like text and lots of other things. It's hard to go through everything and summarize it all. So we used uh, ChatGPT and shout outs to this Python library. If any techies are listening, Llama Index makes it super easy. Um, we are able to uh, ask questions to this table, if that makes any sense. And it gives us summarizations. It gives us feedback. Uh, what What's the overall sentiment during this time frame or during this event or something? And... Um, it just gives us human readable uh, insights into it, which is huge because whereas where I used to do random data science, like probabilistic analysis on things, I don't need to do that. All we do is we have an app that a person asks a question and the data answers itself back to you, which is huge uh, because now it's not me that needs to do this. I make the app. Everybody else asks the questions. Uh, which is huge. It's transformative uh, and it gives us the ability to do even more crazier things to hopefully answer everybody's questions. I'll, I'll say having been, having used that specific uh, library all weekend and including several hours of today, uh, it is amazing. Uh, there are lots of pitfalls though to using yeah. it. And mm-hmm. on the technical side, number one, it expects to read in a folder, not a file. I spent two hours trying to figure out why it wasn't working. And so that's, a, thank uh, you, Dom, for helping me with that sorry, this morning. Um, yeah, no, it, it happens. But what's also interesting is, so I was able to process in around 300,000 comments uh, on a specific kind of another text uh, customer experience thing we're looking at. Uh, but what's interesting is it's still not, it doesn't work on the first try, right? And so, so learning, like even training and training samples and that. So like, this is, this is not magic. Like it might sound and put a magic wrapper around it, but like getting, getting actual insights out of data still requires a lot of thinking and time. It's not as simple as just throwing a data set over the wall and then coming back with this magical thing that you can ask questions of it. It requires really intelligent um, and intentional organization of the data, looking at it, reacting, responding to it, 
and changing it, right? And so incorporating, we've, we've had to make, you know, several iterations of changes to this. Um, and I constantly have my little usage screen up to like, look at my like, oh, that was $4. Oh, that was $8. Oh, that was, oh, oh yeah. that was 50 bucks. Oops. Like just watching like the training of these things, it's very, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just, it's very complicated. So I'd say like, just that's what I'm, the, the vision of what you're doing there and what, you know, what we're trying to do. And the, some of the stuff is like, it's going to be magic. It's going to look like magic to the end user. But like to get there, there is, oh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and putting things in place to actually make this thing happen. It's actually interesting. So speaking to that and specifically Llama Index, since unfortunately, I'm sorry you struggled with that one. Um, literally, the thing about that is it creates your prompts, your questions and everything is not just going to be tailored to GPT anymore. It's actually tailored to your data set because I don't know if you, I don't want to get too jargony. If you tried the vector store, uh, uh, Python kind of class, basically it takes your data and it creates, I don't know. <laughs> it creates kind of themes and ideas around it and it stores them in these kind of like semantic ways so even just asking questions of your data one data set is not going to have the same kind of semantic relationships between every single row as the next one so you're not just fighting against gpt and prompting anymore it's really going to be an art of and like you said there's tons of tuning it's lots of different things that are just gonna it's not magic well we hope to make it look like magic <laughs> Right? But it isn't. Well, I think, That's the goal, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It should feel that way to the users. I, I, I yeah. would add two to that. One thing I've, I've felt myself like, so I, I was a coder at one point in my life. I think I can claim that. There's some people who would take massive exception to that. If Larry's <laughs> listening. Larry's like, you're not a coder, Jason. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Larry with one R, by the way. But so at any rate, the I think for me, like it's empowered me to go write code again. And like I'm spending a ton yeah. of time like yes. writing Python. And so the thing is, um, but that's the thing, right? I'm not, I'm not a coder. I admit it. And so like, I run into these little issues that even chat GPT can't diagnose because it doesn't know the issue. And I spent hours on this thing. And this morning meeting with an actual coder showing him my code. He's like, oh yeah, that should be a directory, not a file. Like within seconds. And I was like, yep. oh, got it. Okay. Thank you. But so I think like there is sort of like this, like fun exploratory stuff where there's going to be a lot of skinning of the knees. And I think that we're at a phase now where it's just not, it's super approachable and easy to access, but to actually get the true results out of it, it's still really hard. Like it's really, really hard and requires like actual skills that are developed when people over a long period of time. Thank you all for, for those answers on that. I think it'll be really interesting to see how that all develops. And at RxA, that's our bread and butter, right? So that's kind of what we're, we're working on figuring out. Um, one final question for everybody to kind of take things in a different direction. Um, as these types of generative AI become more integrated into the business world, the skills required for professionals are evolving, as we touched on earlier. Um, do any of you guys have any additional thoughts um, or elaborations on the importance of candidates who can effectively utilize AI tools, maybe how it'll impact the future of the job market? Um, additionally, maybe how companies can work to upskill their current employees to leverage these technologies more effectively? Yeah, I guess I can start. So I feel like to kind of say like the fear of automated work 
is not something that's novel. It's been around since the 1800s, believe it or not. And there's a really interesting passage that I was reading from like a BYU professor who pretty much said that this is not a new idea and that every single year we kind of come out with a new thing, that this is going to replace the work. Like we're not going to work anymore. But really when you look past, like past to add it, it just really made everyone more efficient. And like we're talking about data, so I might as well bring a data source into this. So the World Economic Forum said that like, there was 85 million jobs that are going to be replaced by AI one day. But if you look at that same statistic, they say that 97 million are going to be created. So work really doesn't get replaced. It's just the work that isn't efficient, that people don't want to do. We didn't we didn't want to plow the fields ourselves. So we built a tractor kind of thing. So pretty much that's kind of what a lot of this has come down to. And you're going to get left behind if you don't adapt. But at the same time, if you adapt and you become more efficient, you're just not going to really, I feel like, see it in the future. You're just going to be looking back at it one day and you're like, hey, the iPhone existed. It didn't exist 20 years ago. It does today. I can't imagine my life without it. That's really where I feel like this kind of conversation is going. That was really well said, Megan. And I completely agree with everything you just mentioned. And I just feel like it's really going to not only automate the workforce even more, because like that's what we've been doing for the past 20 years is automation, What, what however you want to look at it. But for me, it's like it gets people to doing the jobs that they were hired for and the skills that they shine at and that they're good at and then takes away, you know, those hard admin tasks that are just nobody wants to do. Right. And at the end of the day, you could look at it. It saves your like overall workforce payroll. You might not need to hire somebody to do X, Y, and Z if these employees you have have the skills to know how to use AI um, to make them more efficient and work faster and better and smarter. Yeah. And think about all the jobs that didn't exist 20 years ago, even like four years ago, like a computer programmer or just stuff like this. So I feel like it's such a cool experience that we get to see the future kind of get built here. Mm -hmm. And there's jobs that haven't even existed yet today that are going to be like someone's job in the future. So I just feel like that's a really cool thing. And it just shows you that if your company is willing to adapt, like ready signal, we talk every day and we're like, okay, what's the new like technology that we want to see if we can work into our workflows. And we just kind of have conversations and bounce back and just adapt. It's a really cool way to jump on the train for the, for the future and really just get more efficient. And even if this doesn't pan out to be like unicorns and rainbows, like us in this call think it'll be at the end of the day, you're teaching yourself how to be more efficient and how to use these skills, whether companies embrace it or not, just you as a person can benefit from learning how to prompt and learning how generative AI works. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious if anybody else feels the same way, but I use it so much. I am noticing that sometimes I'm talking to people and asking questions and it's, I think it's changing the way that I actually ask questions and talk to other people. I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one, but like, I'm definitely noticed. I was like, Oh, I, that's different. Are you prompting them like the chat? I, just like how I'm just like, I think like how I, I honestly, like with my wife, like we're very different people are wired very differently. She's extremely, she's a pharmacist. And so she's very focused and detail oriented. And I think, I think it's actually improved my communications with her because I like, I, I, I think I ask questions more clearly now or in a different way that actually explains things better. So I, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. 
I definitely thought you were going to talk about, oh, sorry, Matt, but uh, I definitely thought you were going to like say, act like the pharmacy expert for me and then just go off of different prompts that you were doing it. But I could definitely see how you have to be more clear and concise because the robots can just, you know, totally come out of a different direction if you aren't asking a very like clear answer to them. I think I'm leaving some assumptions out when I'm asking questions. I'm actually like just being a little bit more clear and not assuming quite as much because I've learned through this rapid, like, you know, query, you know, prompt response, prompt response, and like having to hone my questions. So instead of asking, leave just, just less assumptions, right? So being a little bit more detailed, not a ton, but a little bit more in my speaking. I don't know. I think it's, it's doing something in my brain. You're turning into a robot. <laughs> See, at least it can still be the butt of a lot of jokes in the office around the water cooler. Guilty of it myself. Um, I, I think I just think this is a really incredible like moment in time to like watch evolution happen in real time. And I think that it's really opportunistic from an efficiency standpoint when you think about us and our, you know, our greatest resource is time and it's finite. And if I'm not spending 80 or 40 or 50% of my time, whatever it may be, uh, on some of these things that are menial tasks that could be automated, it's an incredible opportunity. And like when you put that into the scope of work-life balance and, you know, just effectiveness and throughput that my teams can generate that translates to value and they actually embrace it, I think it's pretty awesome. Again, this is like maybe the rosy lens version of of what this is, but I think it's incredibly fascinating. I think that, you know, it's just fun to watch this play out because, you know, I think we all can benefit and continue to uh, help uh, influence uh, this so that the robots maybe don't take over. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you all. Oh, go ahead, Jacob. Sorry. I was just going to say that I find this kind of interesting because like, previous technological like influences kind of didn't affect me it was a big oh it doesn't affect me at all and ai affects all of us in every way so i kind of hope that whereas it didn't affect me before well maybe now people take 15 minutes out of their day to just read what the newest stuff is like I've done that before as like a researcher. I read papers, but that doesn't need to be your way of reading this kind of new AI news. Read a blog post, read whatever the news thing Google shoved at you is. And I just hope people try and learn things more often uh, mm-hmm. and react to this rather than just have it hit them like a truck. Because it, it could happen. <laughs> it could it could happen if you're not aware and ready to read all these things and learn. So that's all. Absolutely. To add to that, I mean, I think just playing around with the open AI chat GPT has been really helpful. Um, you know, just going in there and asking different prompts and kind of learning through trial and error too, you know, seems to be personally a, a great way to kind of play around with it and test it out and, and get better at it. So absolutely. Cool. Well, I guess there you have it. Um, an incredible deep dive into the captivating world of chat GPT and generative AI with very a ton of invaluable insights from our guests um we hope you all found this episode as enlightening and inspiring as we did um and our heartfelt thanks goes out to our experts for sharing their time and our knowledge with us today um to our audience if this episode sparked your curiosity and got you thinking about the incredible potential of chat gpt and generative ai for your business uh, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to the real intelligence podcast We'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't hesitate to reach out and engage with us. 
Um, and if you're ready to explore how ChatGPT can revolutionize your business, our team at RxA and ReadySignal are here to guide you on this transformative journey. Please reach out to us at learn at rxa.io and let's unlock the full potential of generative AI together. The Real Intelligence Podcast is presented by RxA, a leading data science consulting company. RxA provides project-based consulting, staff augmentation, and direct hire staffing services for data science, data engineering, and business intelligence to help our clients unlock the value in their data faster. Learn more by visiting our website at www.rxa.io or contacting our team at learn at rxa.io today.